Hey everybody, you are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church, for the church. My name is Kirk Miller, here with Dan Allen. And hot coffee. And hot coffee. Sleepy hot Dan. Coffee. Hot coffee. Burn my mouth right there. <laughs> I saw your face. <laughs> and you're, and Sleepy Dan Allen, who's going to keep drinking his coffee to wake yeah. up here. Yeah. Here we go. Slaps in the cheeks to wake you up. All right, we're talking this morning about what? About melodic line. Melodic line. And this is in our this is in our series on how to read the Bible. And so, why are we bringing up things like melodies, melodic line, melodies? Yeah. Isn't that music? What's, yeah. Let's give us a give us a little bit you of know, a segue. Truth here. be told, it took me years to figure out like what a melodic line was. <laughs> I know. I remember when so. you told it to me, and I'm like, oh, I can explain that to you because I'm a little bit more musical. No, I actually feel feel pretty good that I was talking with a guy a couple weeks ago who actually majored in uh, like trumpet or music or something in undergrad yeah. and actually asked me, he's like, I've never been able to figure out melodic line. What? Yeah. So I, I felt kind oh, of Oh, like from a Bible interpretation Yeah, from like point? Even okay. to explain it, like gotcha. what is melodic line? Because so this is all It's like, not as clear as yeah. you would just think. Because this is all in, a, in, a, in like with some of the past um, lessons we've done, there's like a picture that goes with them. Yeah. This is, when we talk about melodic line, we're kind of using like an illustration here. Yes. I mean, um, there is a picture. It's a musical note. Yeah. There you go. There's your, there's your picture. <laughs> right. Yeah. But the idea is the melodic line is sort of the illustration for the principle that we're talking yeah. about today. Yeah. So, so what's the principle? So, yeah. So, well, I'll give you the illustration. Sounds and good. Then, and then I'll explain it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the best way I finally understood it was there was a, like an America's Got Talent or whatever. It was by, in, in another country. Like Britain or Australia. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the guy was playing uh twinkle twinkle little star mm-hmm. or abc's it's that same melody you know mm-hmm. dun, 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 dun. yeah um, but he was doing it on this piano and i mean you saw the video that i mean the, the judges are over the top like whoa this is the best thing ever i know they he, always <laughs> the judges in those shows are always so hyperbolic yeah yeah but anyways it's, it's because the the gentleman had some things going really high, really low, really fast, really uh, slow. And it's just all this other music um, that's added to all around this. Dun, 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 and it, it, that keeps going on through the song. Mm-hmm. So that if you actually, after you know the song's over, what you hear in your head is that melody still that goes through the song, which is Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Everything else all around it, high, low, fast, slow, is all adding to that. It's just contributing. Variations of it, colorizing it. So like the main, in other words, the main melody is that classic Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star tune. But he was, you kind of, maybe he played it, I can't remember, but maybe he played it kind of traditionally at first. And then as he went, kind of added some flair, added some variation to it, maybe paste it out more and that's right so the yeah. but the basic idea is you wouldn't get if you were walking away all the little the flair and the different variations he added you wouldn't be confused that those were somehow the focal point yeah that was not the main those thing. those were that's just right. variations on the focal point that were the thing that kept repeating which was twinkle twinkle little star yeah that's right and so the the principle using that illustration as melodic line says that every book of the bible is one has one cohesive message to it you know, the, an author picked up his pen or whatever he was using to write a message, and from start to finish, it's one cohesive book that has a main theme to it. Yeah, and we're always going to read the book better if we can spot that. Yeah, and this melodic line—if you are a little bit more familiar with music, like even outside that particular example—this is something that you would be familiar with. Like classical music probably does this 
maybe in the most helpful way for the illustration is that it it has different movements throughout the song but it always mm. kind of returns mm. to a similar melody sure so right. all yeah. those movements are leading back to a similar melody that's the idea yeah. here is that as you're reading through a book um like think about ecclesiastes where it's going to keep repeating vanity mm-hmm. is vanity mm-hmm. all is vanity it doesn't mean that literally the entire book is just repeating that line you know it's going to go down avenues and explore different things but you kind of expect it to connect back to all is vanity that's right and so the idea being that it's not that books just say the same thing like obviously there's variation Mm -hmm. but how when we're asking what is the melodic line of a book what we're trying to figure out is how does it all fit together to tell a unified message or a unified melody that's right yeah yeah and so it's really going to help us see how what makes that book that book like yeah. what makes that book unique in the 66 books of the Bible, this particular book, it's going to have a lot of the same themes that other books have in the Bible. Yeah. Right. Um, but even how those themes contribute to the message of that book. Mm-hmm. So and eventually we're going to ask, we want to ask questions when we're reading the Bible, like what's the message of this particular passage in this particular paragraph, this section, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're mm-hmm. going to get down to those particular parts of a book. Yeah. Where we're trying to interpret it. But understanding the melodic line of the whole is important because that's going to help us know how the smaller parts fit right, in yeah. and connect with each other. Yeah. How they all work together. We don't want to like dissect Romans right. you know, six out of the entire book of Romans. We want right. to see what is Romans sixteen within the entire book. Yeah. Et cetera. Yeah, that's good. So yes, yeah, so we're talking about reasons why this is actually important. So that part is the first part is all theory. Like that's kind of what what the topic is what it the, is the yeah. explanation of it but but this actually on the ground is important yeah um it, it also will really help when we read difficult texts like a lot you know a lot of books of the bible will have passages that are just aren't quite clear to us yeah but sure. that that can really help us at, at least have a starting point of where where is the book headed and that can help us to go okay somehow this is contributing to that message it can help it's not going to solve it necessarily but it can be one help in reading a difficult yeah. text do you have, don't you have another illustration from Wadakline about like chickens or something? Oh, yeah. yeah. You should give that yeah, one too, just yeah, in case rooster, someone is yeah. not as musical. Yeah. So one other way to think about uh, the Bible is is a, a big house, right? Uh, 66 books, all uh, or 66 rooms in this big house. Yeah. Um, a lot of times people will decorate their homes having like themes that run all the way through throughout the house. Uh, so one example would be my wife's grandma loved roosters. And anywhere you went in the, the house, you could find a rooster. It might be on a painting. It might be a little figurine. Somewhere there's going to be some roosters. Did or you ever like, try to count them all? Uh, no, that would have been funny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, puzzles, like little quilt things or whatever. You know, they're just, they're everywhere. I don't know if she had quilts. I can't remember. But, but for if the she illustration, had a quilt, that's right. If she had a quilt, yeah. they'd have a rooster yeah. on it. Um, so that would be, um, in that sense, we there's there's. Th- Themes that run throughout the scripture that are going to show up in a lot of books. Not every book, but a lot of books, right? Um, say the the dwelling place of God or or how God takes the plans of the wicked and overturns them for good, yeah. for, the, for the glory of his name and for the good of his people, right? Those are themes that run throughout uh, all 66 books or some, some of them. Um, nonetheless, when you go into, say, uh, the kitchen, you just walk into the kitchen and you go, I'm in the kitchen. Because there's something very unique about the kitchen that's not in the living room or it's not the bathroom. It's yeah. a very distinct feel because you look over there, you say, there's a sink, uh, there's a microwave, there's a stove, I'm in the kitchen. Yeah. There's something that makes the kitchen the kitchen and you don't mix those up, right? You don't take your, your pot of boiling water and then try to go cook in the bathroom. Yeah. 
That'd be gross. <laughs> Which we hope not, right? Uh, it, it, that, that is done in the kitchen. And so that's another way to think about books of the Bible. Like there's themes that run all the way through the Bible that'll show up in multiple books. But there's something about this book that makes it, it its own What makes unique the kitchen the piece. kitchen. Yes. And that, when you find that out, the kitchen adds to the house, right? And, yeah. and so then you can add, see how, oh, I see how this book uniquely contributes to the whole story of Scripture. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then one kind of just uh, as we kind of just talk about why it's important, this can also protect us from just really bad reading or or getting caught in the weeds, you know, just bad interpretation or or you just start talking about like, oh, look at this word or look at this phrase and this must mean this or all of a sudden you're like way off in left field when it's like that's got nothing to do with like the rest of the message of the book. It usually is going to tell you like, oh, I think we're missing. That's probably not his point. Yeah. You know? If it doesn't connect back. Then yeah. it's probably you're probably getting off. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So and that's a good point. We should always be able to show how each individual pa- passage does point to that bigger point. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's talk about then. So if this is all true, how, how do we do this? How do we go about finding a melodic line of a book? Yeah. When we come to it, what like, what are some things we can do, and then some things that we can look for. So first, what can we do? How do yeah. we get started on this? Well, I think the first thing to do is to read the book. So that, <laughs> I'm that's not, brilliant. Now listen, I'm not looking at my notes. <laughs> I'm not looking at your notes. I, I literally am not looking at your notes. But like <laughs> Yeah. But uh but yeah, not rocket science, right? Um read the that's book. Right. You yeah. know? Um even if it's a really long book, you know, do what you can to try to read it right in is 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 close to one setting as possible yeah yeah why would that be helpful because then well for example if i'm reading romans and i read one chapter a day my you know between each of those days i've i'm yeah what am i doing i'm taking out the trash i'm going to work all these other things picking up the kids from school that kind of your mind you know kind of loses track as much as you might think you remember it's just nice to be able to read all those things in sequence to kind of keep it all keep it all together and you start to make connections Mm. a little bit easier yeah that's a good point you might start hearing phrases repetition repeated yeah that's a good see arguments carried out yeah so reading the book multiple times yeah um you know to just get a feel for the whole of it so we're we're probably most used to most of us like reading just smaller sections. Mm-hmm. It's kind mm-hmm. of the devotional culture yeah. that we, yeah. a lot of us have been raised in or that's been our experience of Christianity. Yeah. So we were used to reading small sections of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. No, yeah, that's good. But reading for the, the, the whole of a book yeah. is helpful. Almost like it, 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 reading the whole has a different purpose, mm-hmm. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's reading, really good. Reading, some, some, sometimes people say reading for breadth versus reading mm. for depth. Yeah, that's good. So not necessarily allowing your, kind of allow, like, um, holding back so you're not getting feeling like you have to dive into all the questions mm-hmm. you have right away, mm-hmm. but just kind of, kind of saying, you know, I'm not sure what that means, but I'm going to keep moving. So reading yeah, for breadth yeah. is you don't necessarily stop and park. You just allow yourself I to see. keep moving. Yeah. So if you questions come to your mind, you're not going to stop and yeah try to figure that out at that point. You're it'd be it'd be more similar to like if, if we were exploring the city of Milwaukee, someone's new, like kind of just driving through the city and kind of getting a, mm. a feel for the whole thing. But there might be things along the way you're like, ooh, that looks like a good right, restaurant. Right, or, ooh, right. that looks interesting. But you don't stop. You just allow yourself to yeah, go through the good. whole of it versus, say, someone who's now like, you know what? Let's go and park out at that restaurant. Let's go try yeah. to find a really good Indian place or this Italian place. And you kind of that's more like reading for depth. You're kind of yeah. parking in, exploring a neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. Um Another, I mean, this is very close. Instead, instead of not only reading it, you can listen to it. Uh, I, I yeah. find listening to it can it just lands on you differently. 
Yeah. So that can be a good option. Also, the logic to get through it maybe faster or easier. Yeah. You know, if you're doing the dishes or something like that, you can kind of put it on. Yeah. There's a ESV Bible app has a free audio Bible that comes in the app. Mm-hmm. So if you need a free one, Dwell has yeah. like a paid one you can use, but if you need yeah. a free one, ESV yeah. has one. Yeah, that's a good point. I also think when you're talking about reading it, sometimes I think reading it in a different version can help too. Yeah. So, you know, what what from whatever you're used to yeah. or read it twice, but reading it in different versions. And I find thing. personally that if I'm reading for depth, I like a more formal translation uh-huh. what i mean by that is what people typically say is like the more literal um like the, the one that has a tighter connection between like corresponding sure. between word the details for, yeah. a little bit more word for word yeah so um when i'm reading for breadth oftentimes i'll find it maybe more useful um mm-hmm. that's where that's where some of those more dynamic translations mm-hmm. the more uh, thought for thought translations can be really sure um yeah. interesting to to kind of interact with right right yeah um, I also think uh, a good place to start is like study Bible helps like the introduction mm-hmm. sections uh, are generally helpful. Um, they'll give you they'll give you some of the information that we'll cover on things to look for. But generally, like I, I feel like the ESV study Bible does a great job. Yeah. You know, it, it's not long. Uh, it's not like it's not like buying a commentary and you're reading, reading the first 70 pages of all introduction, <laughs> yeah. which is great. But yeah, this is a nice quick snapshot about what's going on. They'll usually also say some of the main themes of the book, which can be really helpful. Yeah, it doesn't mean they're right, but it's none, nonetheless some kind of readers giving some thought on like what to look for as you're as you're reading it. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I know uh, Dave Helm. Uh, I remember this was years ago now, but I just remember he would. He would hold his Bible up and he'd put his ear to it. He'd say, "You guys, you gotta listen, listen." <laughs> <laughs> and he was his point was like, "You got to keep reading it, keep reading it." So this goes with your first point. I would say but, top and tail would be another one. Yeah. So what we mean by that? So this is, would be. So now you're moving into like, what are we going to look for? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Let's do so, that then. So top and so tail we, would be. This is what we're going to look for yeah. as we read. Or well, with it, or, the, te- the technique being, or like, how do you do yeah, this? Yeah, top and enough, tail is to enough, actually yeah. just look at the top and tail. Yeah. So with yeah. the top and tail, what we mean by that is reading, and it changes on the book, but you're essentially reading the the opening section of the book and the closing section of yep, the book. Yep. So kind of like I know an illustration you use, you've used is when um, you're watching a movie. You know, oftentimes the most significant parts of a movie are its opening right, and right. its closing. There's maybe some scenes in the middle that you could hypothetically skip and you wouldn't be missing too sure. much. Yeah. But the the opening and the closing, like the opening is going to introduce the conflict and the closing is going to show how it resolves. And so yeah, yeah. similarly with the book of the Bible, the opening is oftentimes going to introduce yeah. the major theme, the major message, yeah. and the closing will also connect back. So yeah. um, that's just a, not necessarily getting into what you look for, because I know you're yeah. that's kind of a separate thing but at least how to look for the, yeah. the melodic line yeah, you need yeah. to actually just yeah. look at the top and tail yeah yeah that's good um but what since we're on it yeah uh, the top and tail like is does any kind of example come to your your mind in, in terms yeah. of one that you could to show demonstrate that for us yeah so romans um has a good example of this so in romans uh this is in paul's introduction chapter one verse five uh specifically he says that it's through christ that we have received grace and apostleship, speaking of himself there, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called. And so uh, they're among those nations brought about 
uh, to the obedience of faith. So that's the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. He talks about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's how he begins the, the opening of his book. And then when we come to the close um, in chapter 16, verse 25 and uh, falling. Now to him who's able to strengthen you according to my gospel. So their gospel shows up again, that word. And the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. So there again, mm-hmm. like all of this mm-hmm. is kind of being um, the whole book is kind of being um, bookended by this idea of the mm-hmm. gospel, this message that mm-hmm. brings when people believe it, it's that obedience of faith. Yeah, it's the, yeah. it's submish, submitting to the gospel and mm-hmm. believing, having faith in Christ. Right. And yeah. so that really does make sense of a lot of the book because Paul right. is the apostle to the Gentiles. The, the Roman church is mm-hmm. a mix of Jew and Gentile. So it's within that Gentile territory, though. And he's really unpacking in the book of Romans what the gospel is. Like, I'm not ashamed yeah. of the gospel is kind of a thesis statement a lot of people would say at the beginning of the book. Yeah. And he goes to explain what that gospel is. Uh, chapters really mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. through through eight, mm-hmm. nine through 11, dealing with how that relates to God's sovereignty and the election of Israel, and then 12 through falling being its application into the Christian life. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's great. So you're picking up on a, a theme slash more being fronted by it with a phrase on a phrase level. Yeah. You spotted this phrase, phrase that yeah. opens up the letter, also closes the letter. Uh, yeah, that's good. I and I think a, a number of books are going to play that that very thing out as well. Let me let me show another one in that in that category. So First Peter, um, chapter one verse six, um, states uh, in this uh, talking about the great salvation they have coming. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And then if we go to the very end of the book, chapter five verse ten. Uh, it reads, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Mm-hmm. So again, it's just showing on a phrase level, this for a little while, uh, it shows up both both times talking about the suffering, suffering for a little while. Um, so we would expect at the opening and the beginning of the book, if it's this is how it opens and closes, we would expect that the book might say something about the suffering church. And indeed, as you read the letter, it actually does. Uh, so again, those are just two examples of on a phrase level, if you're paying attention to the opening of the book, the closing of the book, and you're just asking, are there any phrases that keep popping up, some repetition, or maybe some contrast that shows up at the beginning and the end? That doesn't mean, like, it doesn't give you a full conclusion right there. It's just making it's these one observations. one tool among That's others. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. a pretty significant tool. Like, yep. if you find there's a clear connection top and tail, like that's a pretty big clue. Yes. Some books yield a little bit less on this. Correct. Like, I yeah, think I agree. We're in, like Judges. We're in the book of Judges. Yep. We're heading into Judges, that is. And this yep. one is one where it's like, eh, it doesn't yeah. yield as much. Yeah. It, do, it, it was interesting to yeah. look at nonetheless. Yeah. You're I mean, talking you about, do have a little bit in the narrative where it starts out with Joshua, right? Yep. It starts out really good, but by the end, it, it you're in a terrible, terrible situation. So yeah. that's basically what you have for the top and tail. Like how did we go from being really like – at the high, one of the higher points in the history of Israel, mm-hmm. they've now they're entering into the conquest. Joshua has has gotten them started, and then by the end of the book, it's 
you have almost lost a, tr- a whole tribe. Yeah. But even in the book of yeah. Judges, like a, l- a little bit of a sidebar here, but like yeah. there's other clues in that book that yeah. make it quite clear what yes. the melodic line is. True. My mind, yes. you're in First Peter. My mind goes to Second Peter. Like yeah. he does this as yeah, well. Yeah. Or in the yeah. beginning of the book, he talks about growing in the grace right. of God. Yep. Yep. Um, the importance of that, of, right. of, of confirming your calling and election, right. partaking in the divine nature, that grace that causes us to grow. And then mm-hmm. by the end of the book, He talks about taking care of not, well, he says, I'll just read it. He says, verse 17 at the end, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So throughout the book, there's a lot of theme about growing in the knowledge specifically, the grace and the knowledge of Christ. And that is contrasted in the book Mm -hmm. with the danger of falling into Mm -hmm. error. Mm -hmm. So both of those themes get kind of... um, get brought together in the yeah, tail yeah and and they were introduced in the in the top yeah yeah so. that's good so what about um you know the we're sh- showing in letters more like epistles, that you yeah. can find things like that a little bit more clearly um some some books function a little bit different yeah um let's let's say narrative yeah right so what might you do with the top and tail of a narrative mm-hmm so my mind on this goes like Ruth would be a really good example. Mm-hmm. So looking in Ruth about, for example, the character development. So I, I actually argued in a paper when right, I was yeah. in uh, in college that Naomi is actually the main mm-hmm. character of Ruth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So pretty spicy thesis, yeah, but that's yeah. because the story like revolves. Now, Ruth is obviously a key player, and so right, is Boaz. Yeah. But they kind of it all kind of comes back to Naomi and Naomi's sure, welfare. Yeah, and yeah. so the book, for example, with in Ruth, it opens with Naomi, mm-hmm. and then at the very end, and I haven't read this in a while, but at the very end, it talks about um, like the women. I want to say they're even like like praising God, like for essentially like like with Naomi. So let's yeah, see here. It's yep. uh. She beca- so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her a conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be Yahweh who has not left you this day without a redeemer right. and may his yeah. name be re- renowned in Israel, et cetera, et cetera. So like, yeah, so my, re- my memory is serving me correctly. So the, the idea here being like they're pray like Naomi is, she begins the book, like call mm-hmm. me Mara because mm-hmm. God has dealt yeah. bitterly She's with empty me. And, bitter, and yeah. now like. Blessed be the Lord who's not left you without a redeemer. Right. He's yeah. giving you this kid through the offspring of Boaz and Ruth. And yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So you're really following the the story, the storyline, the story arc is what you would follow in yeah. the whole book. And, yeah. And you realize that the, the it started out really bad, and this the story ends on a, on a really high note. Um, in in a book say like Jonah, that's prophetic narrative sort of. You you kind of have both. Um, but you 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 do have some of these statements that are at the beginning and at the end, but then you're also watching Jonah kind of move and or not move on some depending on how you read it. But <laughs> yeah. then it ends with that question. So there's, there's some unique things happening in that one too as well. It ends um, with a question, yeah, yeah, which is similar to like First John too, where yep. in First John he begins by talking about the importance of abiding in the the apostolic yeah. fellowship, mm-hmm. fellowship with the true gospel. And then it closes by like keeping away from idols. Yeah. So casting those false teachings in terms of idolatry. Yeah, right. So now this is where I feel like first John is one 
personally where I think this tool can really help you make sense of a final statement like that. Yeah. Because for for some people, like that last statement, uh, it it feels like, yeah, yeah. it just feels like, where did that come from? Keep yourself from idols. But if you've been following this melodic line where at the beginning of the book, he says, no, we've looked at, we've touched, our hands have touched. This is the true thing. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus is the real deal. I'm going to tell you what the truth is. And then he's demonstrating that throughout the book. And then it's like this, now keep yourself from all else, which would be idolatry. Yeah. Like, it just totally makes sense. And it's then. actually amazing. If you read, like, commentators and, and books on First John, a lot of them kind of act like that last line is just random. Right, yeah. So it's like you kind of yeah. miss it. And it's like, no, it actually fits in quite well. Right, yeah. 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 Yeah, so that that would be one really helpful helpful tool. I think one one of the most helpful in terms of finding a melodic line, the top and the tail. Uh, tip, uh, you know, I've, I can still say typically. I don't know. A lot of times when we're, when we're reading, um, we'll start out uh, when we're entering into a new book, and we'll just do that top and tail work on day one. That yeah. will be what we do. Like when you and I are prepping for a new sermon yeah. series, or, or like Danik yeah. and I reading yeah. and stuff like that. We'll just that's what we do. Yeah. Uh, but definitely, as we're prepping for a sermon series, time is spent doing that. Uh, just you're just reading and rereading. Now, on a larger book, you might do say the first two chapters and the last two chapters. Or it might just be like on a smaller book, do the first two paragraphs, second, last two paragraphs, something like that. And you're just looking for repetition or contrast or a narrative, like where's the story start, where's it end and such like that. Yeah. And this is where like if you have like an ESV or something where they have headings in your Bibles, this is where like those headings might be useful to kind of figure out the beginning and the end. Yeah. To kind of read. Yeah. So, all right. So, what what else can we do? Or, or, I'm sorry. More like, what are we going to look for yeah. as we read to find the melodic line? Yeah. So, repetition is yeah. is probably the next one that comes yeah, to mind. Yeah. So, we're in Judges. So, my mind goes to Judges. Yeah. And we, one of the things that we've seen in the book of Judges that really helps us uh, figure out the melodic line is not only at the beginning, at the top in chapter two, mm-hmm, I believe mm-hmm. it is, maybe into three, but I think it's two. There's that kind of, it gives us a cycle. It says this yeah. is what the cycle is going to be. And yep. we see that playing out throughout the rest of the book. So you have a repetition of a cycle playing out. Yeah. Okay. So not necessarily a repetition of a word or a phrase, mm-hmm. but just a cycle. Yeah. But yep. the other pieces, and actually there's actually a repetition of a phrase, phrases and words. So this idea like in, mm-hmm. in each of the, each of the judges, uh, cycles, it, it has a statement about how the people did what was evil in the sight or in right, the eyes right. of Yahweh. Yes. And it's so it's always each, like starting a new cycle. Always yep. is starting them off. And yep. so, and then there's other language that normally gets thrown in there too, like they're being oppressed. They cry out to, to, yep. to God Yahweh. Gave them over. God gave them yep. over. Yep. God raises up a judge. Some of those ones are a little bit more like hit and miss. Yeah. But there's a repetition. It's still, like you said, though, the same theme. Yes. You might use different verbiage, like God yep. gave them over or. That uh, God was stirred up to anger towards them, like yeah, different verbiage, but same theme. Yep, yep. So, so, but the but the eyes, the doing evil in the eyes of of Yahweh, and then at the end of the book, yeah. everyone does what is right in their own right. eyes. Same yeah. language. Yeah. There's a couple other places where that same language is used. It makes it quite clear that one of the big themes of the book, if not mm-hmm. the biggest theme, and how we should then start thinking about the melodic line, is this mm-hmm. having to do with, it has to do with the people kind of doing right in their own right. sight. Yeah, and yeah. so. A yeah, that's that poetry there, right in their own sight. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really good example. And then going, again, just going back to the melodic line principle, this would be a, a nice example of. There's a lot of things going on in the book. Yeah, there's a lot of like very interesting and, and graphic and actually horrifying stories in, in Judges. Yeah, but all of this is adding to that ding, 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 
ding. Like he, the author keeps coming back to that. That was melody. Twinkle Twinkle Little Star in case people didn't know what he was doing there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, another example would be Ecclesiastes, probably right, yeah. like the prime example mm-hmm. for repetition. Vanity of vanity, yeah. all is vanity. Mm-hmm. That's how it begins the book. It says, mm-hmm. it quotes the preacher. It says, the mm-hmm. preacher says, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. At mm-hmm. the end of the book, it quotes, thus says the preacher, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. So top and tail action going on. Yeah. But then throughout the book, it keeps using um, mm-hmm. Like when the preacher is in his dialogue, he talks of or his monologue, he talks about this is vanity. I found this yeah. to be vanity. So yeah. the idea of vanity, which is not, we would argue, is not necessarily the end goal of the book. The, yeah. We're going from vanity. Ultimately, that's meant to teach us a lesson. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. noting that theme of vanity throughout the that's book right. yeah. is yeah. a huge, I mean, it'd be hard to miss yeah. that one. And another major one in that book is uh, there's nothing better f- for man but to enjoy. Yep. There's the, several, the there is nothing better order. statements yeah. throughout the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we could go into like letters, uh, the book of Philippians. Mm-hmm. Joy. Yep. Yeah, joy, yeah. joy to rejoicing yeah. as well as partnership in different forms is going to show up. Um, and mystery so, in Ephesians, yep. righteousness yep. Well language in, in Romans. Yep. 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 So again, as you're reading it, uh, this is where if like the, your first point in terms of like trying to read the whole thing, if you can, that's really going to help you spot some of these, uh, phrases, themes, concepts that are repeated over and over. Um, now I, I do think in, um, you know, certain translations are going to help you better for that. To, if they're staying on word level, uh, not always, but yeah. things like the ESV and ASB are going to typically keep those same words. Not Definitely not always. Yeah. And what we you wish mean by they did that? It better. Yeah. Go what ahead. you mean by that is like if 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 the Greek or the Hebrew, yeah, there's it's like using the same words. Some translations yeah. because they want to convey more the i the, uh, the 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 thought behind it, yeah. they'll change how they translate it. So right. Like the yeah. word. I'm just gonna make up a word. Yeah. Like say, I don't think they would do this, but say they take the word like grace yeah. and they translate it favor one time, grace another time. Right. Yes kindness another time yeah. like it ch- in the english you think it's all different words because they're yeah. translating it differently mm-hmm. and that can be unhelpful for seeing repetition whereas this is yeah. where a more formal a tighter translation mm-hmm. if they're going to consistently translate the same word the same way you're more apt to see the repetition yeah, yeah it just picks it up a little bit easier yeah. but nonetheless if you're paying attention just to on a theme level as well or concept you'll still pick um, it up. you can still pick that up yeah um so okay so what what else can we look for to help us spot yeah. the melodic line. Anything else come to mind right away? Um, one other one that comes to mind, and this is kind of a little bit more in the background and something mm-hmm. you have to infer from the details of the text oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And this is where a study Bible can be helpful, but is what I might call the occasion. Sure, the yeah, letter. yeah. So what yeah. is, who's, this is where you want to think about who the author is, who the audience is, mm-hmm. and then why are, why is the author writing what he's writing to right, the yeah. audience? Like what's yeah. the intended response he wants them to have? That's right. What's yeah. the aim he has? And normally he's addressing an occasion. So like mm-hmm. a really obvious occasion would be like in the book of Galatians mm-hmm. where there's people coming in and saying, hey, you have to be circumcised if you really want to be a child of the, of the promises that were made to Abraham. Yeah. If you want to be a covenant uh, beneficiary, if you want to be saved, if you want to be justified, mm-hmm. like, hey, you got to be circumcised. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Paul is coming in to address. Mm-hmm. That's the occasion. Yeah. And that really helps us. Like the melodic line is going to have to do something with the occasion. You're, mm-hmm. If you have a melodic line that does not address the occasion of the writing, right. it's obviously off base yeah. because that's yeah. why they're writing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you're going to want to find out who the author is. And we don't always know, but oftentimes we can get at least good very good guesses. Yeah. Um, so who the author is, what 
their situation is as well, especially in like the letters, like Paul's oftentimes going to tell you what his situation is and such, um, as well as the situation of the audience, as well as their relationship. How do they know each other? How long have they known each other? Uh, is, you know, how are things going? You know, the, the way Paul t- writes to the church in Philippi is different how he, than he writes to Galatians. Um, now, I, I think some of, I agree with what you're saying, and some of that is hard to spot. Uh, especially say like a narrative. Yeah. Like that's going to be much dif- easier difficult. in like an epistle. But yes. In an epistle, like you can actually, if you're paying close attention as you read the whole thing, you'll actually pick up quite a bit. Yeah. Like we can like, find a lot of that information in like there. Like in Corinth, first Corinthians, Paul saying like, yep. you wrote me about this. Right. Let me address this yes. issue, this issue. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's quite clear. Like he's, there's pastoral issues he's addressing. Yes. And in narrative, sometimes it's, you kind of have to infer like, yes. why is he writing this? Yeah. That's right. <clears throat> But yeah. you were gonna. It sounds like you were gonna say something else. No, 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 no that was good. Yeah. Um, another thing you you said this before, but uh, purpose statement. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. And maybe these could be slightly different, but I think as well as like not only purpose statements, but then programmatic statements. So a good mm-hmm. purpose statement would be where is that one in John? It's at the end, in chapter, yeah, chapter 20, twenty, verse thirty-one, thirty and thirty-one, I think. Yeah, so chapter 20 in Gospel of John, 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Okay, so the book's not exhaustive. John Mm -hmm. is selecting Mm -hmm. specific things to make a point. That makes sense. Okay, well, why is he doing that? But these things are written. The things that are written, they're written for this. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, Mm -hmm. which is a theme Mm -hmm. throughout the book, this idea of believing for eternal life, like mm-hmm. the, you know, the really popular John three sixteen, all yeah. who believe will have eternal life, and so he's. This is like this is like the gold. Like you just you just hit gold <laughs> right, when you have right, a purpose right. statement in a book. Yeah. What's the point of the Gospel of John? Well, we don't even have to debate it. Like right. he tells right. it to us. Um, I know, yeah. like first John does this in his writings. Yep. Like in First John, he yep. does this that you may know you have eternal life. Yeah. So similar yep. language. Yep. Jude has one. What's Jude's? Um, to, you contend, said, to contend for the faith. I, to contend I, for the faith. I, think, I forget what he says, but like I, I was wish originally going to write about this, but yeah. I, and then I realized I got to write to contend for the faith. Yeah, yeah. Programmatic statements are similar, oh, yeah, but yeah. a little bit different. Like I think of Acts. In Acts, um, a programmatic statement would be like in verse eight of chapter one. <clears throat> Jesus says to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this then serves as like a roadmap for the whole book of the gospel starting out in Jerusalem. Eventually by mm-hmm. Acts 8, it goes to Samaria. Yeah. Um, and eventually by the end of the book, it's going to the ends of the earth. Yeah. And this theme of witnesses. So mm-hmm. one of the big themes in mm-hmm. Acts is how the word increases and the people of God are giving witness to the gospel. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, Some of those good. like programmatic yep. and, and purpose statements are helpful. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, and one other one that kind of can help in kind of purpose would be like imperatives at times. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of paying attention to what are the what are the commands that the author is giving to the audience. Uh, sometimes that can really help you. So um, say, say the book to the Philippian church uh, talking about kind of standing with one another. Uh, I think this starts in chapter 1. 
I don't know what it is, 27 or something. Yeah, I, too far. I think um, 26 and 27. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Walking in a manner worthy of, worthy of, of the gospel. Of the of the gospel. And then it's yeah. like standing firm in the faith. Like yep. suffering is coming upon you just as you saw it coming upon me. Being of one mind. Yeah. So he's really calling them. Like, this is what I want you to do, how I want you to respond to this situation that they're, <coughs> that they're experiencing. And then at the end of the book, you have all of a sudden he kind of brings up this, uh, what is it, Yodia and Syntyche. Yeah, like, chapter four. These women who have labored in the Lord, like help them get along. Yeah. You know? So it, you just kind of, it comes back that it's the repetition theme as well. Uh, but these are just kind of like commands that he's giving to the church sometimes can help you say, oh, this is why he's writing to them. Cause he's got this repeated theme that he keeps bringing up. Yeah. So where would you yeah. fit like one like this in? Like I think of the book of Genesis where it opens up. Obviously you have like m- most people would kind of see chapters one through 11 as a, yeah. like an initial section, kind of like the pre- um, covenant with Abraham section, yeah. God's purposes that are really universal. It's the whole scope of, of, of humanity. And in yeah. 12, he zooms in on Abraham and it starts, the story starts picking up with his descendants. Yeah. But from that point on, 12 on, and 12 is really a recommissioning of like to reachieve what was lost in creation. Yeah, so yeah. they're not disconnected. But from 12 on, um, the promises made to Abraham really set the tone for the rest of the book. Right. Or yeah. even, for example, um, when Joseph, God uses Joseph to, uh, to save a, a good amount of humanity in that famine, he is mm-hmm. doing what he promised mm-hmm. to Abraham of, of blessing the nations through Abraham's right. descendants. Yeah. So, like, and you can go through, um, like, I remember reading a book by T.D. Alexander. Um, I can't remember what it was called, <laughs> but uh, it was something about, like, oh, it was a... <laughs> seven pairs. <laughs> It was a, uh, it was a, uh, it was a book on the Pentateuch and it, yeah. he was kind of showing how every single narrative in the book of Genesis really linked back to those promises mm-hmm. of like blessing those who bless Abraham, cursing those who curse Abraham. So like, yeah. you don't want to get on, you don't want to be on Abraham's bad side. It doesn't yeah. go well for you. Like, so like that feels, I guess, a little bit like programmatic as well, but looking at like, if you notice that theme of how everything from the promises to Abraham onward kind of takes that trajectory, that yeah. can be a helpful yeah. tool. Yeah, for sure. Whatever I mean, I haven't, I, I, I don't recall doing Genesis maybe I did years ago, but I mean, I, w- I would still do the like top and tail work. Yeah. Starting yeah. point. And even just noticing like it starts off with like this whole universe or global. Yeah. Like, you and know. And then it ends with the global blessing through Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. It, but in it, it's, yeah, that's right. It's focusing on through a particular people. Yeah. Like, right. And so then I would just be asking like, oh, that's, that's interesting. With the seed promise. Right. In the beginning, chapter three. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Good. Um, the other thing I guess you could just pay attention to that can that can help is the the macro structure, kind of the the overall big like the big movements of the of the book, and just be asking the question like how did how do these sections relate to one another? Like how is he setting these sections up? Um, you can pay attention to that as well. So, like example, that would be like Ephesians one, one through, through three, three is yeah. kind of like a doctrinal mm-hmm. explanation, and then. Typically, you see Ephesians 4 through 6 as kind of the practical outwork. Yep, so saying, right. like, how do those two relate to each yeah. other? Revelation that we just preached through recently. Yep. Chapters 1 through 3. The letters um, to the churches. Yep. And then 4 and then, through the end of the book, kind of the visions yep. to the churches. So think about how, how, how do those, those relate. relate. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that can really help as well. So that's what macro means. It's kind of big, big section. Yeah, yep. Um, one kind of simple way of thinking through this, the, what do you call it? The formula that I've used as I try to think through this, uh, I'll do the author and the audience, um, plus the argument of the text, which argument would include the tone, the top and tail, the repeated themes, things like that. Uh, so that's just the, the general argument of the text. 
equals the aim or the goal. So all those start with A. So the author and the argument, or sorry, the author and the audience. So discerning what the, who those are, mm-hmm. how they relate. And that's really like the idea of the, the occasion. Like why, right. is there, yeah. why, is, why is the author corresponding? Why is he that's writing right. to this audience? Yeah. But, Got to keep with the A's, yeah, author and right. audience, yep. plus the argument of the text. Okay, argument, that, and that's that kind of like several the, categories. The melodic yeah. line being put into like this is what he's trying to persuade them of mm-hmm. equals the aim. Okay, the goal, the goal, the intended response. Yes. Okay, I'm writing so, that down. My math formula. Yeah, yeah. So I I do find sometimes when we talk about melodic line, uh, sometimes that aim gets forgotten about because what we can be tempted to do is find all these cool like links and all these words like oh look that word's repeated and oh like that's really cool but we still have to ask the question like so what yeah why is he doing that like what's his purpose and so that's where we want all we want to make sure all this heads there so we know like oh that's what he's trying to do yeah right like if you just walked away saying the main theme of Romans is the gospel of God's righteousness. It'd be like, yeah. okay, well, now you know the theme, sure, but yes. why is he writing that That's right. theme? That's, That's kind right. of what you're getting at. Yes. The, the melodic line is meant to get us somewhere. That's right. What's yeah. the yeah, what is what's there. the book attempting to achieve? That's right. That's better said. Yeah. Anyhow. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's try to practice. I know you kind of dove into Second uh, Peter a little bit. Sure. But let's just do that. Let's try to use as much as we can use the text itself uh, as our guide, um, just to see what we can find. Uh, okay. But let's let's go through those: the author and the audience, the occasion, as you say it, and then we'll hit the argument and then the aim and see what we find. So sounds good. Um, it's a nice three chapter three chapter book here. So let's talk about the author and the audience. Uh, are there any things in the book that you feel like help us to understand the occasion um, of? Or let's, let's start out with the author. Yeah. Is there any way you can go? This verse spot? one. <laughs> there you go. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle right. of Jesus Christ. So this yes. is the apostle Peter. Right. Yes. Okay. okay. And then he, in terms of the audience, he says to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, um, does he mention anywhere where they're from or anything like that? Uh, no. In his first letter, he talks about those from, he names several regions from the diaspora and the diaspora. Yeah. In and like he, Asia Minor, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So presumably you could say he's writing the same people. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, which yeah. might be, might, maybe might not. Be, yeah. um, we also learn about Peter later in the first chapter that it, it appears that he's 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 assuming he's going to die soon. Okay. So remember he says, um, since I know that the putting off, in verse 14 of chapter 1, since I know that the putting off of my body will mm. be soon, as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> this is also the Peter who, he, he mentions the transfiguration in chapter right, 1. Right, yep, good point. Um, and so... Another, just another example yeah, of like, which this is, is important. Yeah, why would that be important? Because he's going to appeal to his eyewitness testimony. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because of these false teachers. Yeah. That are, that he's going to like warn them of. Yeah. So like Peter now has he's kind of stating his authority. And yeah. Like, his credentials. Yeah, I'm an apostle. That's, that's right. I stated it better again. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's an apostle. He's got eyewitness testimony. Things like I'm just yeah. kidding. No, that's right. Yeah. I'm good with it. <laughs> I agree. Okay. So that's that's the author in the audience. Yeah. And then that um, kind of leads audience, to... Audience, yeah. Well, because we can hit occasion a little bit. Yeah, so right. So chapter two really hits a lot of like what's going on with the audience. Like, right. Peter seems to pick up his pen because of chapter two, um, that there's false teachers and that there's 
summer seeming to be swept away by them. Right. And really, by the time you get to chapter two, all of a sudden, well, this is a helpful book where it's like, when you get to chapter two, you realize why everything in chapter one was written. Right, yeah. So, like, yeah. if you're just reading this for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. listening to someone on the telephone. You're only getting one side of the conversation. And if you're only getting one side of the conversation in chapter one, you don't necessarily entirely know why he's writing what he's writing right, in chapter yeah. one. If you just kind of took that out on its own, you'd, you'd likely you lose some of the flavor. But when you get yeah. to chapter two, you realize that all of that is because there's some there's a danger That's behind right. the scene Yeah, um, that recolorizes That's right. what we just read. Yeah. So in chapter 2, verse 1, it starts out, but, but false prophets also arose among the people, referring probably back to Israel, um, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift, swift destruction. Uh, by verse 10, uh, he says, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. So he starts out the chapter saying some, they will come among you. And by verse 10, he's like, this is what they do. It's already like they are among you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the, by the end of the book, he's talking about those who twist the scriptures yeah, yeah. to their own to their own gain, or however he states that. Ignorant and unstable, they twist the scriptures to their own destruction. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that seems to be the occasion. Uh, also, uh, Peter's reminding them of of I mean of the end, seeming like the 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 judgment's coming. Yeah, chapter three he brings up the day of the Lord and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that's the occasion, author and audience. Okay, argument the, the top and the tail. I think you already pointed us to to one aspect here, but something about knowledge and the the grace. Yeah, let's look at the. Yeah, I'm going to look at yeah, the verses ahead. now. So okay. I because I kind of just recited it from memory. But so chapter one, verse three: His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. Um, okay, and then if we go to the end, we obviously would want to read more of that if we were taking more time to do mm-hmm, this. But mm-hmm. by the end, um, you therefore, verse seventeen. Uh, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of the of lawless people, which he's mm, talked mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. and lose your stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Right, so yeah. talking about yeah. that, the grace, uh, the growing in godliness and its connection to the knowledge. So mm-hmm, these false mm-hmm. teachers, they would actually detra- they would actually distract you away from true knowledge, and they offer a false knowledge. They right, offer yeah. a false path. And we don't. You don't want to lose your stability. You don't want to go after those people. But what are you supposed to do instead? You're supposed to grow in the grace and the knowledge mm-hmm. of the Lord mm-hmm. and Savior Jesus Christ. And so it helps colorize the whole book, the top yeah. and the tail, because we know why he's telling us the importance of growing in chapter one. We know why he's mm-hmm. raising the false teachers in chapter two. We mm-hmm. know why he's mm-hmm. bringing up the arguments he does about the end in chapter three, etc. Yeah, that's really good because I feel like that that's starting to bring everything together. Then, yep. Um, yep. So you're taking the occasion. And you're saying like, oh, he's not just talking about knowledge and grace, growing in grace and stuff, but knowing what the occasion is. Now you're bringing that to bear together. You can fit why That's he's right. doing all those yeah. things. And one of the big helps as well is not only the fact that this is a top and a tail, but then there's an, as you mentioned, looking at imperatives. There's a command that comes in at the tail. Mm-hmm. So saying, oh, that's a command. Maybe he's summarizing his aim mm-hmm. here. He's mm-hmm. summarizing mm-hmm. What, what he's trying to do. Take yeah. care to grow. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, one other thing that you can pay attention to is, is these introduction, especially in the letters, um, 
just what's unique about them. So it's, it's easy to kind of read the first two uh, verses sometimes in the letters of Paul and just kind of skip past them and go like, oh, let's get to the meat. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But sometimes he calls things out, right? The outset that's different from the rest of the introductions and will start to unpack the letter. So I would just, you know, you can pay attention uh, to that. Verse 2, uh, it already has this knowledge of God um, and of Jesus our Lord. May, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So right off the bat, he's already kind of given us this theme as this calling a blessing on the reader yeah. um, that this would happen. And he's described them as those who have obtained a faith of equal yes. standing, which could be a way of saying like, hey, if these false teachers are trying to say you got to do this right. in order to really right. be spiritual, or this is the real deal, yeah. you've already obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Yeah, with the, the apostles. apostles. That's yeah. right. Like you're, you're, not on, you're not on team B. So those you're introductions, yeah, yeah, those introductions are not superfluous. You don't just kind of breeze right. past them. They, they, yeah. they, they're written intentionally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good. So I think in in uh, in that piece there, we we also hit some of the repetition and stuff like that. So I think all that uh, we covered that piece. Yep. Now, because we're trying to do this quick, let's hit about, about tone because tone comes up in the argument as well. So like just the the Peter's tone as he's writing. Uh, Anything, any thought come to your mind? Yeah, I believe, I think we mentioned this in the previous episode, actually, but I believe chapter three is the section of the Bible that has that word beloved more than anywhere That's else. That's right, yeah. It's the highest concentration of that use of the word That's beloved. Right. Yep. But it's not beloved necessarily. Like he's, it shows on the one hand that he's speaking to people with dear affection. Like these are the people he loves, in other words. Yeah. I don't really know if we use the word beloved now, but it's like loved one, right? Mm-hmm. We say our mm-hmm. loved ones. So these are his loved ones. And so he's speaking with affection and care for them. He's not like trying to like bash them over the head with these instructions. Right. But nonetheless, like you would have to read this, uh, the tone here with a level of intensity because there's a danger behind the scenes. Like an urgent father almost or something, right? So so there's definitely deep affection for the audience is is what this word kind of brings out. But nonetheless, the affection stirs up the urgency, you might say. It's like, because I love these people so much and I see the false teachers that are starting to woo some, yeah. like I, I, I step, you know, Peter picks up his pen and he's like, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to remind you again. I'm going to remind you again. All the yeah, way it's until good I for me to remind <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. It's um, kind of like, I think of almost like you talked about it, like a, a father, like almost like if a father, their kid was kind of getting start, the father could start to see that their, their, their teenage son or daughter were starting to hang out with the wrong crowd. Mm-hmm. And that, that's mm-hmm. a loving father. There's probably going to be a level if they have a, that sit down talk, there's going to be a level where that, that dad, you know, takes them by the shoulder and is yeah. serious with them. Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, this is not good, but yeah. they're, they're going to do it in a loving way because right. it's like, because I care about you. Right, like, yeah. tears in his eyes that's like, right come on yeah so, that's a good that's a good picture in yeah there. yeah um and the other thing with that word beloved it only shows so it shows up five times in chapter three and then it only shows up one other time in the book and it's in chapter one verse mm. 17 uh and that's when Peter's recalling the transfiguration actually Interesting. when the father um Ooh, yeah for, yeah when when he received Honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So the only other place it gets mentioned is to describe Jesus. That's right. And then, but the fact that it's from so the mouth clustered, of the Father yeah. about the yeah, 
That's if right. it was used kind of, if it was, this is the thing is sometimes there can be repetition, but if it's kind of spread out throughout the book, you know, that that's interesting mm-hmm. to, for mm-hmm. sure. But when it gets clustered in one section at the mm-hmm. end, mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously, it obviously yeah. speaks to the tone yeah. of that section. And then the fact that it's used of Christ is, is huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that actually takes us back to that uh, one, one that you pointed out of equal standing. Yeah. Like, and, and then I, you almost go like, wow, like how God called his son. Beloved. And that's the same term that gets described yeah, by believers. about the church. Yeah. So uh, I, I think there's definitely deep affection here for the church, even though there's really strong warnings. There is really strong language in chapter 2. And this is where I think you don't want to miss what's going on in this melodic line. Chapter 2, if you just take it on its own and kind of miss all of this other aspect and the tone and his heartbeat, uh, you can really kind of get lost in there. As well as like you have this, because chapter 2 is all about these false teachers and it's Really, kind of just you feel like you're in the sea, getting tossed yeah. back and forth. It, it's like this gruesome picture, and they're they're coming in, and um, they're going to be destroyed. And yeah, so you kind of you could, on the one hand, like I said, you're gonna you're probably not going to fully understand what chapter one is doing until you mm-hmm. get to chapter two and read it in light of the false teachers in chapter two. But mm-hmm. what you're also saying is you could easily get kind of bogged down in chapter two if you don't realize that the whole reason he's bringing up the false teachers yeah. is because he has aims. Of wanting to guard the believers from that's them, right, yeah. Of wanting to see them grow in grace and knowledge as his beloved, yeah, you know, that's right, fellow believers. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting in chapter two, you also have this one spot in there in uh, verse nine uh, where he's so he's like warning them of these false teachers yeah, and the yeah. judgment coming, but then he says, "Oh, uh, you know, if the Lord knew how to rescue Lot, uh, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials." Like yeah. God, God will protect you. Like yeah. you don't have to get freaked out about this. Yeah, it is scary stuff. It's real, but God will care for His beloved. He will hold them. Yeah. Um, so okay, so that's we've covered author and audience. We've hit the argument. Uh, so, so then it a, brings us to the aim. this what? is your formula: the author, yeah. art, audience plus argument equals yep. aim. So equals aim. aim. Yeah. So, so we're just gonna try. Like, what do we? What What is Peter trying to get across to his audience? What is What is he trying to say? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we might not be able to state it in a sentence real quick, but even just kind of like some quick thoughts, like what what is he trying to get across? Yeah, he wants them to be on guard from the from the false teachers, so that they can grow in the yep. grace and yep. knowledge of Christ, yeah. knowing that they have what they need. Like he's talked about, they're of equal standing. Right, he says yeah. you have all things at the beginning of the book pertaining to life mm-hmm. and godliness, mm-hmm. partakers of the divine nature. They don't need what the false teachers are offering right. them, and so there's a, a need to be alert in light of the coming yeah. judgment, in light of the false teachers in light of their own spiritual growth being at stake yeah i think all those yeah all those are and somehow you we would just want to if we could take all what you said i think all those points are excellent being on the alert them down, yeah. letting the church know you have what you need you don't need something secret you have it already um take like take care be diligent yeah. um, but be on the alert and, and somehow then if you can just wrap that up and I say think this is his, his goal when we preach but, this maybe like what was it two or three years ago yeah. i think we called it take care guard and grow so idea, oh yeah that's take right take care and then the way you do that is by guarding and growing. yeah it's got a negative and positive kind yeah. of approach which is how guard, he ends the yeah, book that's to right. guard so that you can grow yeah, yeah yeah that's good you need good. an offense and you need a defense yeah excellent well that, yeah Great. Well, there you have it. That's the melodic line. And uh, I liked how, uh, I, think, I think it was Dave Helm used to sum it up and say, we'll always read the book better if we know what the book's about or something like that. Yeah. All right. Well, you got two pseudo Dave Helm quotes in your podcast <laughs> today. Yeah. We look forward to seeing you next yeah. time. 